let's say that I am interested in pivoting my NASCAR racing career, my yep. my discipline as a NASCAR driver to Formula E. Yeah. How good are you at NASCAR first? We have some world-class drivers on the grid, uh, Len. I'm not sure. Would you make it? <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I, it, would, it would be a different discipline of racing for sure. Hey there. Welcome to a special edition of the Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Klugerman, joined as always by Landon Castle, and this is our podcast about all motorsports. Now, we might both be NASCAR drivers, but we love all forms of motorsports. And so today, we have the opportunity to talk about one of the most unique and, I guess, technologically advanced types of motorsports in the world with the CEO of Formula E, Jeff Dodds. Here's our interview with him, which was a lot of fun. Check it out. All right, welcome to a special edition of the Money Lap Podcast, where we are joined by a very special guest, the CEO of Formula E, Jeff Dodds. Jeff, thank you for coming on here. We really appreciate it. And as you've seen from our content, we are big believers in the Formula E series. But as two NASCAR drivers who enjoy Formula E as viewers, we do have many questions. Uh, but before we get into that, you are coming up on your first 100 days as the CEO of Formula E. And after stints in the automotive sector, you were the COO of Virgin Media. I have to ask, what made you take this job and what has stuck out to you here in these first 100 days? Uh, hey, Parker, uh, Lemma Head, guys, how are you? Thanks for having me. I'm not sure I've ever been described as a special guest, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it with good <laughs> grace. So, uh, so thank you for that. Um, yeah, not even quite 100 days yet, to be honest, but... Um, uh, the first half of my career was, as you said, in automotive. So a bit of time with Ford Motor Company when they when they owned Volvo back uh, many, many moons ago. Uh, and then a, a long stint with Honda. So when I was at Honda, um, they were pretty big in motorsports. They had their own Formula One team, uh, MotoGP, World Superbikes, British Superbikes, touring cars, uh, the Formula Four-stroke powerboats, ATVs. I think they even raced lawnmowers. Uh, when I was there. So if it had an engine, they raced it when I was there. Um, and then the second half of my career, as you said, uh, media, telco, broadcast. Um, so I think if you look at if you look at motorsport, I guess I've got that that cross section of kind of the entertainment bit of it, the media and the and the team thing and the entertainment side and the automotive side of it, big motorsport fan. Um, and also really focused on ESG really focused on sustainability, uh, focused on inclusion, equity. So so a, a motorsport that has all the tailwinds of electrification um, uh, felt like a perfect kind of intersection for the things I've been doing in my career. So, yeah, 75 days. And you asked what stuck out to me. Um, well, as you would imagine, everything moves fast. So it's a, it's a fast-moving industry. Uh, you guys are in it every week, so you know that. It's a fast-moving industry, really fast-paced, loads of energy. Um, a lot of people working in the business are just so passionate. Um, actually, in our business, they're either really passionate about motorsport or they're really passionate about sustainability and, and, and educating around mm. environment, environmental impact. So, but, but either way, they're passionate. Um, and just so much opportunity. Um, I think... I worked in the telco sector, the media sector, where it's a really mature industry. And, uh, you know, being candid, most of my days were spent looking to offset challenges and offset problems, not to uh, exploit opportunities. And I've, I've come into Formula E and, and kind of 90% of my time is about 
exploiting the opportunity, not offsetting the challenge. So that's a little bit of a different part of my brain I'm having to engage, but, but so far, absolutely loving it. That's awesome. We, you know, you really kind of got my wheels turning when you, when you started drawing these parallels between your experience in the automotive sector, um, and then your experience in media and, and obviously balancing that pure motorsport versus entertainment is, is such a common topic across all motorsports. Parker yeah. and I talk about it on the podcast all the time, right? And, you know, how does a series, a racing series, whether it's Formula One or NASCAR, find their, stick to their identity and, and find their guiding light? Yeah. Um, so, you know, my question for you on that is, is um, where is Formula E right now? What's the current state of Formula E and where are you trying to take it? And more specifically, what is, what is your guiding light um, that for every decision you make, you're at least trying to get one step closer to that, that state? Yeah, I love I love that. I should say right up front, obviously, you know, I'm I'm early phase in, in my tenure here. So I'm still forming some of my thinking around uh, vision and strategy, albeit I have to say forming it pretty quickly. Um uh but when the when the series was founded and it's it's really young, it's it's tied up it's in it's the end of its ninth season, so it's a decade old, unlike, you know, IndyCar or NASCAR or Formula One, which is seventy odd years old. Um when it was found, I, I, mm -hmm. if you visualize that kind of lovely yin-yang um, icon in your brains, on, on one half, it was it was founded as a motorsport that had sustainability at its heart. And on the other side, it was it was a sustainability platform that had motorsport at its heart. So in terms of, of what it is, without having a credible, exciting, elite motorsport program, the series doesn't exist. On the other hand, there are plenty of brilliant, exciting motorsport platforms out there. So you need something that's uniquely different um, in order to be compelling for fans. And an hour uniquely compelling thing is that we've been net zero from day zero. So we, we take this show on the road, we city centre race, uh, and we use the platform not only to showcase world-class, exciting, um, unpredictable racing, but we use it to educate people around this need um, and this may not be that popular with your listeners, but 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 this alternative way of doing things, and and you know when when the series was founded ten years ago, and, and kudos to the to the team that founded it, Alejandro Agag and, and Alberto Longo, you know there were three hundred thousand electric vehicles being sold around the world that year, and here we are wow. ten years on, and there's ten million electric vehicles being sold around the world, and and by twenty thirty, in many places you won't be able to buy a non. Um, EV or I'd be able to buy an internal combustion engine car. So, so I think for me, the two lenses that I have to look through are the ones that let's not do anything that doesn't make this sport more compelling to watch for people. So I want the cars to be faster. I want there to always be jeopardy, always to be excitement, always to, be, when I say unpredictability, going into a race, not knowing which team or which driver is necessarily going to win it and not being a foregone conclusion. Um, but also at the same time, you know, we, we're net zero today, but there's still many, many things we can continue to do better around our own footprint for racing, carbon footprint, but also in terms of educating and using the platform to, to talk to people about this journey towards sustainability. So, so they're the two lenses we have to go through. That's fascinating. Um, I do have a little back, background on Alejandro Agag. I actually met yeah. him uh, on the at Majev Ski Mountain one time. But I, I recognize that, him. I that that sounds like a story. That sounds like, like a story not for this podcast, not for broadcast. 
<laughs> it's, it's not. No, no, no. But no, definitely saw, you know, had a, a vision for this, which was impressive. Yeah. And you, you mentioned, I thought was really interesting, is that this has started sort of at that idea of mixing a sustainability platform mm. with the entertainment of, of racing, right? Who do you yeah. view as, and, and maybe you have metrics on this or you guys have done, mm. you know, have, have seen a change, but who mm. is the fan? Who is the prototypical yeah. viewer of Formula E? It's maybe not just NASCAR drivers, right? It might be. I don't know who out there. Are they do they care more? Are they more interested in the sustainability, the racing side? Yeah. Do you feel like your opportunity is more race fans or people that aren't interested in motorsports right now? Yeah, look, I think Parker, it's a great question, and and I know you know all big businesses love to talk about the typical fan, and that the reality is we have two hundred million fans around the world so far, which in nine years is not a bad start. Plenty of upside available to us. Wow. So the reality is there's not a typical fan. Right. So w what I can say to you mm -hmm. in this, though, that about 60 percent of our fan base are motorsport fans. So they're people that enjoy watching motorsport. And that could be uh, Formula One. It could be MotoGP. It could be IndyCar. It could be NASCAR. But they just enjoy watching things race. Right. So about 60 percent crossover motorsport fans mm -hmm. versus other motorsports. We we tend to skew slightly younger and slightly more female. Um and then I would say wow. we also have a segment in our audience who are more socially engaged, more focused around environmental issues than, than traditional motorsport uh, audience. And um, what we don't have because of the nature of what we do, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about silent cars and kind of how does that, how does that feel and what's my vision around that. But what we don't have is that kind of hardcore internal combustion engine racing fan that wants to turn and by the way i am and have been one of those for most of my life but you know that wants to turn up and listen to the roar of the cars feel like they're going to be sucked out of the grandstand onto the track to to get that overwhelming smell of, of kind of petroleum they're never they're never going to love what what we do or certainly in the foreseeable future they're not and my view is we could spend a lot of time trying to convince them they should come and check out what we do, or we can focus on that other massive segment out there um, who are interested in what we do or would be more interested. So, so that's kind of how we differ, how we're different. I think. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, it, it's it's pretty common knowledge that you know the major auto manufacturers have made huge shifts towards EVs mm. and the future of EVs you know, in, in globally. Um, but we've also seen fluctuations and even some of them, um, dialing back maybe some of their ambitious goals in the past or, um, you know, their fluctuations in that interest and in their, their investments over the, the short term, I suppose. Um, and there has been churn in Formula E in manufacturer support as well. And as racers, yeah. we know how important manufacturer support is yeah. for the teams, the drivers and the series itself. Um, so how do you manage that fluctuating interest from manufacturers in Formula E and the role they play towards um, yeah. your long-term goals there? Yeah, I think we're, we're really blessed. And for those listening to the podcast who, who are kind of not that familiar um, with the setup, the, the team setup at Formula E, it's, it's a mixture of manufacturers and independent teams that you've got. And by the way, I always forget some and they always give me a, a load of crap if I forget them. So apologies in advance to anybody I don't mention here. But, but you know, you, but you've got, um, you know, Porsche, Maserati, McLaren, Jaguar, Nissan, Neo, Mahindra. You've also got kind of racing heritage teams in there. Andretti, which is why I'm 
sitting in indeed doing this uh, this podcast with you. But Andretti, Penske, Abt, you know, you've got this incredible range um, uh, of teams. But you're quite right that not all manufacturers have been operating at the same pace in terms of their migration towards uh, electrification. Um, I, I don't know what the regs are in the US, so apologies, but you know, certainly if I was doing this call in the UK or Europe, you know, you wouldn't be able to sell an internal combustion engine new car from 2030 on. So, you know, this is all manufacturers are accelerating their their transition now to electrification. Um, and they do it for a reason, right? It's not it's not a charitable donation to Formula E. If, if I talk to when I'm sitting talking to Porsche, who have just renewed their contract uh, with Formula E and announced um, uh, that they'll be continuing in the series going forward, you know, they talk very much about the fact that they take learnings directly from the track and from the racing team, and it goes into their production of cars. So I think back in 2020, and, and someone will fact check me, I'm sure, but back in 2020, it was the highest selling ever year for the 911, their flagship sports car. Um, but that year, the Taycan, the electric car, outsold the 911. Um, if I'm talking to people like Jaguar, they talk about a, a learning they took from the track that allowed them um, to get 10% more uh, range out of the I-Pace, uh, their, their flagship electric vehicle. If I talk to the Nissan team, they talk about delivering 180% efficiency into the Leaf, one of their electric vehicles, through learning they took off the track. So... You know, there are real manufacturers there learning stuff through this racing series um, that they're pushing back into into their EV production. And we have to remember, you know, internal combustion engine is about 150 years old. You know, As I said, you go back only 10 years, there was 300,000 EVs being sold around the world. So we're absolutely our infancy of the learning of this, of this technology. So um, anything manufacturers can do to speed it up is fabulous for all of us. You bring up a really uh, interesting point, which is these independent teams versus manufacturer teams, right? And we have that throughout so many forms of motorsports. But yeah. I think it's especially interesting with what you guys are doing because you call you talk about the sustainability platform and the technology these manufacturers are learning. How are what's the health of those independent teams? How how are they finding the ability to compete? I know you had one racing for the championship this year, but yeah. really overall, how are they finding it? being able to operate in this scenario where you have such a technology-based, uh, you know, situation going on. Yeah. Technology. Well, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. And, and um, uh, you know, at some point you'll ask me questions about NASCAR and expose my absolute lack of knowledge in that topic. But <laughs> so, I, so I'm so i not so, so familiar. Oh, by the way, I watch anything race, but I'm not so familiar with, with NASCAR. But, but certainly in Formula E, it's interesting that this year um, you had a, you had Andretti win the Drivers' Championship. Um, and you had um, Envision win the uh, win the team championship. So two independent teams uh, win the championship this year. Um, and, and I think the, the the great thing, well, so here's the difficult things, which will be the same, I think, for every racing series around the world, which is post-COVID, global cost of living crisis, challenges around inflation, everyone's being really careful where they invest their money. So therefore, you know, it... it Yep. It's not as easy to go out and get sponsors as it might have been a decade ago. On the other hand, I think the beauty of Formula E is for a lot of big brands that are sponsoring, you know, sustainability, environmental focus, um, uh, uh, ESG is more important to them than it's ever been. And so we have the tailwind of sustainability, but we also have the tailwind of electrification, which is, you know, this is 
this is the growing platform um, for vehicle manufacturing around the world. So in some respects, um, whilst we don't have the scale of a Formula One, we do have the tailwinds that everything's moving in our direction towards electrification and towards more focus on sustainability. So so it's never going to be easy for some of those independent teams to go and find um, uh, sponsors. If there are any sponsors listening to this podcast, I'm sure our independent teams would love to hear from you. Um, it's never going to be easy. Um, but we do have a lot of things going in our favour. Yep. And just real financially, you know, when you mm. talk about sponsors and that sort of thing, we all fight that in motorsports, right? Yeah. You've, you've been, you've seen it from all different facets, from the automotive side to the media side. Yeah. It's a crucial part of being able to fund these race cars. So, yeah. You know, what are you, what, what are you seeing in terms of your guys' budget levels, cost containment? I know mm. that's been a discussion amongst yeah. Formula E. How, how is that going? And is there more work to yeah. be done there, or do you feel like it's in a healthy spot? Um, so no, I think we're really focused on it, uh, Parker, because it, it, it's sustainable um, financial health of the teams and the championship is really important. Um, I would think, and, and uh, I'd be interested to get you, you, your views on it because I'm not 100% sure, but I would imagine the cost of running um, a NASCAR team, a competitive NASCAR team is not massively dissimilar to running a Formula E team. So we actually have a cost cap. Uh, cost cap is, um, is yep. 13 million euros. Um, which is probably about fourteen point two million dollars a year, based on based on current exchange rate. Um, I think probably running an IndyCar slightly less expensive than that. Um, obviously, Formula One also has a cost, cost cap, which is a, I think one hundred and thirty five million dollars a year. So, Correct. so the way I would look at that is, you know, we if you compare us to Formula One, and by the way, I should say I'm, I'm a big Formula One fan as well, although. I think a lot of people think I, I, I try and give them a, a an elbow at any opportunity, but and I, I intentionally don't. But but let's see where you this goes. You and me both, by the way, on that. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know, so I'm a, we, we, I get in trouble for that all the time. <laughs> yeah, no, and I I'm a I'm a massive fan of Formula One, and and I think a healthy Formula One is great for all motorsport because it's the pinnacle of motorsport, and therefore it, 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 they're doing brilliantly and they're creating exciting racing. That's great for all of us. Um, but also, you know. There aren't really any other motorsports that can operate with that level of investment, $135 million cost cap a year. Um, so so for us, it's really important we keep the cost cap down. And and just like NASCAR and IndyCar, you know, we, we're 200 mile an hour cars. We're 0 to 60 in about the same time. And we produce some amazing racing for what is roughly a tenth of the cost of, of Formula One. And, and I think if you want to start pushing the cost up to teams, you've got to have a really good reason to do that. A really good reason to do that um and at the moment i've not really seen what pushing that cost cap up to you know to to 16 17 million euros or 20 million euros i'm not really sure how fans would benefit incrementally from putting more financial pressure on the team so so no i, I think the cost cap is really really important so that 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 thought of you know keeping the cost cap down and keeping this racing affordable yeah. i would suppose results in you know slower development on the speed of the race car and we you know one thing we love about race cars is is they yeah. go fast right and we want race cars to go fast we always balance that with good racing though yeah you know and and there's also this mandate of of entertainment and and obviously formula e has some of the most creatively good yeah. racing um in the world because your cars are so unique and the, the passing is incredible and the cars are incredible but um you know one thing that i could say 
and I would say this was almost my thought before I really got into watching Formula <laughs> E is like, well, the cars just aren't fast enough. So then are they just electric toy cars, yeah. right? You know, and my thought is like, man, show me a Formula E race car that's as fast as a Formula One yeah. car. And now I might get interested, yeah, I, um, right? So what's that I to, balance there? Because you you had said earlier that you want to see the cars go faster. Yeah. I, um, I, I did a, a quick... Uh, uh, a kind of teaching on your podcast so i went back and listened to uh i was on holiday a couple of weeks ago i went and listened to all of them so i heard you uh, i heard you talk about that in one of your one of your pods um yeah. yeah so so i would um i would argue with one bit of what you just said and, and have a different perspective on it and, and that would simply be that uh, i talked about internal combustion engine being 150 odd years old and therefore any performance benefit coming out of that technology is going to be marginal or incremental at best so you have to spend and invest a lot of money mm-hmm. to get marginal benefit out of that of that technology. We are in the infancy by comparison with electric vehicle and, and EV power cars. So actually, there's more of an exponential technological improvement that comes out of your investment into EVs. Um, the other thing I would say is you you are I agree with you 100%. We could make the cars go faster and have a worse racing product. So remember, we're racing in city centres. Um, the tracks are probably on average about two miles long compared to three and a half miles long of, uh, if you looked at a Formula One on a, on a fixed circuit. So if you come to Rome or you come to London where we have this great in, indoor-outdoor race, um, you know, there isn't an opportunity to get up to 230 miles an hour. So 200 miles an hour at, at the top end of the speed is perfectly uh, serviceable for, for that. In fact, we got our top speed, I think, out of... Um, on the PIR at Portland this year, about 184 miles an hour or something like that. So so we could make them go faster, but I'm not sure on many of our tracks you could benefit from that. I think where we have an edge right. and an advantage uh, is on acceleration. Now, a Formula E car has two powertrains, so a front and back. We only race today on one of those, so we haven't opened, up, opened them both up. Um, you might have seen that recently we decided to take on the world indoor land speed record and see if we could break that because we were racing in London. There's an indoor section about 350, 400 meters long. Um, so we broke the indoor land speed record by, um, I think by about 50 kilometers an hour. I mean, we absolutely obliterated it. But during that exercise, it was in our Gen Beta car, which is a generation three car that we, we open up the technology and play around with a bit. We decided to open both of the powertrains, so front and rear. And um, I'll probably get shot for saying it, but you know, we by doing that, you're getting naught to sixty acceleration under two seconds on the car. So Jeez. you know, so really, m- my view coming into this is we should open up the technology on the car over the coming years to make them as fast as they can to a point where they can still deliver compelling racing. So I think what you're going to see over the next two years is we might be much less interested in getting a 250 mile an hour top speed racing car because that's not our product. We're racing in city centre. Um, on the other hand, what you'll probably see is that we update the technology or, or unleash the technology so that the standing speed, the acceleration of the vehicle blows away the rest of, of kind of the motorsport arena because that anybody that drives an EV or jumps in a Tesla for the first time or drop, jumps in a Taycan for the first time, um, the one thing they'll all be shocked by is that is, is that line speed, that acceleration off the mark, and therefore we should exploit that. We should we should go even further in our racing car to show people just what EVs are capable of. 
That's uh, that's really interesting, and I think you know you said it really early on in that response that um, there's there's just a lot of low hanging fruit because this is yeah. a new technology, um, as opposed to you know internal combustion engines. Uh, one note that kind of stood out for, um, for me as a NASCAR guy, and I can't be fully quoted on this, but I believe <laughs> that it's like a, it takes a million dollars to find five horsepower in yeah, a NASCAR there we go. engine. So, which is which is uh, fascinating. You know, right? we're, we're pretty much plateaued there on our yeah. <laughs> where and, to find speed. And um, <laughs> and I think you know this is um, I think I'm what I'm saying now is a matter of public record it was certainly online if you go and google it so i'm only saying what people are, uh, are saying online but we're in generation three at the moment 300 kilowatts of power when you use attack uh, the attack mode of in formula e which for people listening that aren't uh, familiar with it you go through a zone on the track that opens up an additional uh, 50 kilowatts of power and um, and then you've got eight minutes over the course of the race whether it's four four six two two six but you've got basically eight minutes to use that incremental power um we're out tendering for generation four at the moment. So we're out there talking to um, to suppliers and manufacturers about building the generation four spec. And I think the tender document asked them to respond up to 600 kilowatts of power. So you, wow. you effectively, you know, twice the wattage. So, um, so we, you know, to your point, getting more power is a low hanging exercise for us at the moment. The question is, what's the point of it of more power? So what do we do with it? And, and the other thing I would say is because we're so focused on cost, but also sustainability, there are many things we don't do today that can make the cars go faster, but we choose not to do them for sustainable reasons. So a good example of that would be the tires. So Hankook, the tire manufacturer, yeah. it's a medium compound kind of kind of traditional street style um, uh, tire. And the reason we don't have multiple compounds and multiple tire options is because we don't want to increase the cost. And by producing all those extra tires, it's not massively sustainable. So, so when we were doing that that world indoor land speed record, we're doing that on a medium com. We're not doing it on a slick. We're doing it on a medium compound uh, street tire. So there are loads of other things we could do if we wanted to ink out incremental performance that we haven't felt the need to do. Um, albeit to your question earlier, I think it was Parker's question about the audience: who's your fan base? Um, yep. The reality is, you know, there are, we could please an awful lot more people who are motorsport fans by doing some things that go a little bit against the ethos of Formula E. So if we, all of a sudden we put multiple tyre versions in and we were racing on slicks and we were, you know, we were making, we, we were opening up the, the power of the engine as much as humanly possible, you know, we, we'd get cars that were materially faster, but I'm not sure it would deliver better racing and it sure as heck wouldn't deliver a more sustainable product. So I want to support you in the road tire uh, decision because I think it's awesome. I think it's one of the best parts about what you guys do. The la you know the low amount of aerodynamics has been awesome. So you talk about the speed is there, and what you see, yep. you know this is one of the things that got I think you interested in this podcast was talking yep. about all the things that for me has going for it. But one of the things missing, and I saw a quote from the Nissan boss about this, was mm. the noise. Right? If you talk yep. about 184 <laughs> miles per hour. Yeah. happening at portland and that was an epic set of races there yeah it was uh, cool, wasn't a race it? that occurred in the terms of yeah in terms of passing and you guys yeah. just raced there in nascar um and the show you guys put on was awesome so i'm like yeah. okay everything's there so what, what 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 do we do about the noise is there is there a plan is there an idea do you think it's a problem where, where are we at with yeah. noise yeah and i think just for answering the noise thing i think um i was at portland well not every race right so but i was at portland and um 
a lot of the crowd at Portland were NASCAR IndyCar crowd because they, they came to just check it out, see what was going on. And um, I think we were really surprised because we weren't sure what reaction we'd get from that that crowd. But but actually most of the people, and I spoke to loads of people, they were very surprised by the level of infrastructure we, we brought to the race. So they're used to having, you know, we have fan villages and, and education centers and a massive amount of hospitality and we bring the circus to town. So it was lovely to hear them say, oh my God, we just, we're not used to this. This is pretty amazing. But I think for what what might have been quite a cynical crowd, they were also really surprised by the level of competitive racing. So the amount of overtaking or passing, as you might say, but but they were just really impressed by it. So so that was a great way to showcase what we can do on a fixed circuit as well as a street circuit. Because obviously the PIR is a fixed circuit. You know what? Noise is a tricky one for me. So um, I hadn't read what Tommaso at Nissan had said, but I will read it and then phone him up and shout at him about it. Um, the, <laughs> here's the tricky thing. The tricky thing is noise in a racing car is a function of inefficiency. So the noisier, the less efficient the, the product. That, so th- that is just a function of inefficiency. Our, uh, um, uh, a Formula One car or, or uh, uh, another racing car, I think, is about 40 to 50% efficient. Um, and therefore, you get that, that real roar and that noise of, of, of energy leaving, leaving the vehicle. Um, our racing cars are over 95% efficient. So, so any noise you want to get out of the car has to be created artificially. So we have to apply noise to the, to the vehicle. Now, fast forward 10 years. In 10 years' time, when we're all driving alternative fuel vehicles, we'll all be used to no noise. So unless there's kind of this heritage retro attraction of making a super state-of-the-art product sound like an old product, um, it feels quite counterintuitive to me to start artificially making a something that sounds like Kylo Ren's fighter jet out of Star Wars today, if you go and watch the racing, <laughs> trying to make that sound like something that is 50 years old feels quite strange to me. Um, I do think if you ever go to a race, and I'd love to get you guys along to a race, but if you go to a race, um, yeah. the fact that you can take your family, you can watch the racing, you can talk to the people next to you, you know, you can leave without a, a, a droning inside that is a is a lovely part of what we do. On the other hand, there are sections of the motor sport community that want the noise. They want to hear it. It just feels counterintuitive to me that one of our points of difference versus other motorsports is we race electric vehicles and electric vehicles are quiet. Um I think our issue is is more about educating people about the differences and, and why they're quiet. And they're quiet because they're highly efficient. Um, I talked to my team in the business about wanting to be the noisiest, quietest sport in the world. Because I think we're quiet, but but turning the volume up on what we do and why we're exciting and, and where we can take this sport for me is much more important than actually turning the volume up on the car. I, I think that's really fair. And I, um, you know, I'm as pure of a race. I've been a racer my whole yeah. life. Um, grew up in the Midwest and United States. And, you know, I love a loud race yeah. car. Um, but I'm actually not very concerned about the noise in EV motorsports because 
to me, you know, a loud race car is a feature of a race yeah. car, but it's not the feature. Um, the feature to me of motorsport is is speed and excitement and um, and danger and you know that's what's that's what's cool about strapping yourself into yeah. a race car and competing for a win um, and and as a fan to watch it. So um, I've got one more yeah, question. Then I know Parker has a list of questions from the Reddit community. Um, so let's say that I am interested in pivoting my NASCAR racing career my yep. my discipline as a nascar driver to formula e yep. um which by the way i would be serious about yeah um how good are, how good are you know, your NASCAR, NASCAR first for a long time i made a ton of stars what's that how good are you at nascar <laughs> first we have some world-class drivers on the grid uh i'm not sure would you make it <laughs> i don't know I'd, i it would it would be a different discipline of racing for sure okay. street courses um all of it so if i was interested in in pivoting my nascar career yeah um, you know, I'd have to get some pretty serious sponsors on board, yep. you know, the, the, to Parker and I's knowledge of, of the funding that it would take is probably pretty equivalent to a NASCAR Xfinity mm. ride, a top level NASCAR Xfinity ride, um, that yeah. would have to back me, um, going to a team. Yep. What, what is that value proposition for maybe even yep. as an American driver, um, you know, racing in Formula E probably going to find an American sponsor, an mm. American company, and they're going to see me travel the world yep. racing Formula E. What is that value proposition yeah. to to make that pitch right now? Yeah, so um, an amazing question. And I think um, an amazing question, actually, that, that opens up um, a bit of a debate about kind of drivers in Formula E versus drivers in other motorsports. Um, so for the majority of motorsports, you can, and I, I don't use this term in a driver's way, you can buy your seat in the car. So providing you're a, a good driver, if you bring sponsors with you, um, to the team, you can buy a seat in the car. Actually, there isn't a single driver in Formula E that's bought, bought their seat in the car. So they're all paid drivers. Wow. No one turns up with sponsorship to to, to drive in the car. So I, I would argue that um, 11 teams racing, 22 drivers currently in Formula E are some of the best racing drivers in the world on the basis that the teams get to pick whoever they want and they're paying them a salary. They're not turning up with their sponsors and their money to buy their seat in the car. So that is the difference with NASCAR. So first thing then I would say is it doesn't matter how much money you're going to work. It might, it might matter, but first of all, you're going to get your spot in the, in the car based on your driving capability. That's the first thing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we have drivers, uh, we have drivers in Formula E that have come out of, of WEC, that come out of Formula One, they, they come up through, through F2. We've we got amazing drivers in, in Formula E. Um, however, we have, Effectively, we have space for 12 cars, uh, sorry, 12 teams in the series, each running two cars. We currently have 11 teams in the series. Um, a bit like Formula One, we have a spare a spare spot. Um, and that's a spot that I'm not interested in giving away because I think, again, like we said earlier, if you want to fill the spot, it's got to bring something to the racing series. So for me, that could be a, a, a world-class racing team. It could be someone like, um, Mercedes, it could be someone like Red Bull. Alternatively, it could be a massive power brand, global power brand that perhaps hasn't raced before, but wants to bring some um, some some different branding to to the sport. So, I think what I would say is, if you if you're able to prove to another manufacturer that you're a world class driver and that they should be pitching to us to take the final spot on the grid, then um, then that's how you would get into Formula E. 
simply turning up to to McLaren or to, to Maserati or to Jaguar or to Porsche and saying, hey, I've got a couple of million bucks of sponsorship. Can I grab a seat in the car? <laughs> Frankly, I'm not sure that's what their primary interest is. Their primary interest is whether they can win a championship. And um, and and if you if they think you can win a championship for them, they'll pay you a healthy salary to do it. I love that. Very and cool. And I, uh, yeah, I, that's why I've heard about the pro drivers. I know I put it out there that they uh, that's the situation, which is amazing in the yeah. global motorsports sphere. That just is not not current everywhere else. Um, no. And I now know our entry point of being owners, which is what I've been most interested in. We, you know, maybe you need a podcast <laughs> as the 12th team. I'm just saying, <laughs> Jeff, you know, I mean, we, we, we were a couple million listeners. We can bring that, okay. that, that largest. So we got to find a manufacturer led into uh, to bring it in. But we did reach out to the uh, former E Reddit community before yeah, we let cool. you go here. And I just want to yeah. rapid fire through some of their questions. Go for it. We had such a huge response. Yeah. Great. Uh, so first and foremost, Peloton style racing, uh, where you know you don't quite want to be the leader, or you're trying to conserve energy. Yeah. We, we view this as a good thing, I think. Uh, well, I think look, I think it, it's a thing. So again, for maybe some of your community who aren't familiar exactly how it works, um, it's not a um, uh, it's not the lights go out and you you know full throttle and that's it. You hold you hold your nerve for as long as you can. Um, if you do that, you run out of energy before the race is over, so you don't finish the race. So. A Formula E car starts the race with about 60% of the energy it needs to complete the race. The other 40% is delivered during the race through regeneration of, of, of the battery. Pretty cool thing, right? So that, that in itself is a pretty cool thing. So tactically, if I talk to the drivers that have raced in multidiscipline, they will say to me that driving in Formula E is incredibly complicated. One, it's a street circuit, so you can't make many mistakes. And the second thing is... It's not just about how fast you go. It's very tactical, highly strategic. You're having to decide when to conserve energy and when not to. And that's why we get so many overtakes, so many passing maneuvers. And from a peloton point of view, um, actually, strategically, often um, teams are very happy to take a leading position, um, but they don't want to necessarily hold that leading position for the entire race. That so makes it very tactical. So, so I think a feature mm -hmm. of our racing series is always going to be regeneration and energy preservation. So you're always going to get that style of racing to some degree. You, by the way, you also get you also you also get you also get that style of racing in Formula One at the moment, that peloton style, but for a very different reason. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Uh, what do you see as the ideal calendar size for Formula E? Oh yeah, cool question. Uh, so today we're in 13 different locations, 17 different races. So that's the calendar we've announced. Um, I don't think, and the, and the season starts in January, finishes end of July. I don't think we need many more races than that. You know, maybe it maxes out at 15 venues and about 20 races because we have some double headers. But I think we're not far away from having a really good spread. You know, we're rating in places. Uh, Mexico, Saudi, San Paolo, Tokyo, Rome, Monaco, Berlin, um, uh, Jakarta, Portland, London. So we're all over the globe uh, with the rest. I think how many is less important than where for me. So, so the things I'm fixated on is where don't we race today, where we've got an opportunity to bring our sport, our flavour of motorsport to a new audience. And clearly there are some places that we don't race today like uh, mainland China, where we need to be racing in the future, but I'm less worried about how many. Interesting. Um, 
the dream Formula E car of 2033. You kind of said where you're going next to Gen 4, but this was a question from the Reddit community big time. They wanted to say, what's the dream car? What does it, look, yes. what does it have? So we have um, an exclusive license to race all electric vehicles with the FIA. Actually goes out to 2039. So if it's 2033, we'd still have six years of exclusivity on the current license we have. Um, in, so in 10 years' time, look, I think the cars are going to be much faster. So uh, I think there'll be more top speed, but I think a blistering level of acceleration you'll see in that 2033 uh, car. Um, I'm more interested, actually, um, uh, in in the size of the sport and the global reach of the sport than I am the actual car. I think naturally that car will be much faster. It will probably look a bit cooler, um, but I'd love to see 500 million global fans, not 200 million. I'd love to see a billion reach, not not 400 million reach. Um, and I'd love us to be part of the mainstream conversation around the world. Um, so I'm more interested in that than I am the actual specific car. And the last one here, uh, you've sort of dabbled, you've been primarily street circuits, but you've dabbled with some permanent circuits. Yeah. What's your thoughts and plans there? Is it a mix? Is it still heavily street course? What do you see in the future for Formula in, in terms of yeah, circuit look, choice? I think it's a brilliant ending question, actually, because when Formula E was founded, um, street circuits were, were really important for two reasons. One, from a sustainability point of view, a street circuit means that your fans don't have to drive to get to a circuit. So you can get them via public transportation. So if you want to go and uh, watch the race, you haven't got hundreds of thousands of cars driving to the middle of nowhere and parking in a field. So so that was really important. And I think second thing, candidly, when the series started, you know, if you're on a three if you're on a three mile track or a three and a half mile track, the cars, you know, they were already changing the drive the cars halfway through the race. Then you didn't have the range to be able to put on a compelling race and on a longer circuit. Uh, but technology has come on a lot since that first generation car. Um, my view actually is that, um, is that as the cars become more powerful, they go faster, we're going to need bigger circuits. Now that could be wider circuits and longer circuits that we could deliver in street, in street fashion, in city centers. Um, on the other hand, there are other tracks that have good transportation networks, fixed tracks have good transport infrastructure around them. And actually, Portland was one of them, right? You've got rail station right next to the track there in Portland. Um, so I think what you'll see is this kind of hi the hybrid nature of racing emerge over the coming seasons, which is we, we start to introduce more fixed tracks into our calendar. Um, probably fixed tracks with a slightly with an option for a slightly shorter circuit. Um um, and hopefully with good public infrastructure, transport infrastructure around them. Um, but um, but yeah, th but also there's something lovely about watching a car race through the centre of Rome or, you know, again, we're going to race for the first time in Tokyo next year. And I can't tell you how excited I am to see a wow. backdrop of Tokyo with cars racing at nearly 200 miles an hour through the middle of the city centre, which will be super cool. But, but I think you'll see a hybrid approach going forward. That's yeah, awesome. Man, I, I, that makes, you know, I, ahead, I hadn't even thought of that really until listening to you talk about it. Um, you know, in NASCAR, we have so many different sizes of tracks, and obviously we have street course and road course in different sizes of ovals, but it's almost like as your car gets faster in Formula E, 
um, you know, you you still maintain this identity of a lot of the street courses and the action and the in the almost calling them short tracks like what we have in NASCAR. But then every once in a while, it'd be good to just show everybody how fast those cars can really yep. go. Yeah. Um. And and you're on a, a and, you know a bigger course. And then and you said that in one of your previous podcasts, which is, can't we just make this car go really fast and show people what it's capable of? And and I think one of my challenges running this business is, um. I think there's a difference between what the car produces on the race course to show great racing versus showcasing to people what the capability of the car is. And I think over the coming sure. the coming months, probably, I'll look for opportunities to kind of untether some of the technology in the car to show the racing community, if you wanted to, what this car is capable of doing. Uh, because I think it'd be really exciting mm. for people to see if you had both drivetrains open put slick tires on it, did a little bit of modification around aero um, and put it on the right track and just said, okay, look, with what we've got today, with a few modifications, this is what it could do. And then I think it's almost kind of now let's stop having the debate about whether they're underpowered or overpowered or whatever and get back to delivering fantastic racing. <laughs> so maybe awesome. a Formula E car in Nürburgring, I guess. Amazing. Well, um, that would be interesting. Who knows? That, that, that's not a bad location to go and show what you can do. That is a good one. Jeff, this has been awesome, man. I uh, really, really Great appreciate you. you coming on here. This has been so cool. No, yeah, thank you very much. Hey, good luck uh, in the me back. here, and we look forward to 2024. I'll tell you what we yes, should do. You're Let's more get, than let, welcome anytime. Oh, yeah, I'll, I could become like a you, – you, you put me out as a special guest, Parker. Maybe I can actually become a kind of recurring guest. I was going to say, why don't we get you along to a race next season so you get to experience it up close and personal. I can get you really close to the cars and the drivers and, and, and you can talk through how it works with them. And then maybe be great to get your view for your audience once you've had a, had a maybe even had a go in the car and got a sense of what it's like up close. That'd be That'd awesome. Be perfect. Great Love stuff. It. Call it a day. We'll All right, guys. Deal. Great stuff. Lovely to see you both. Thank you, Jeff. Thank Good you. God. What do you think, man? That was awesome. That Jeff is a great dude. Uh, I kind of had an idea that he would be cool like that because I had watched uh, some other podcasts he had done um, as he took this film e job. But he was cool. He was very open. I felt like I think the you know putting out some of the numbers, which I believe were public anyway, but the six hundred kilowatts of power in the next gen uh, car, the Gen four cars, pretty sounds pretty awesome. Um, mm -hmm. You know the speed. I think that that's one thing. You know, and you brought it up from him. It got it out of him, which was like. This idea of how fast can these things go? Because you've it sound you've got the speed. They're doing 184 miles an hour around Portland, and they were they were five seconds faster than an NASCAR Xfinity car around that track. So these are not slow race cars. Mm -hmm. They don't have a lot of downforce, and they have very little tire grip. So they're making an immense amount of speed in acceleration, as they pointed out, because they're they're electric. That is missed somehow and it's like it's either the sound or there's just there we haven't unlocked the presentation on that but somehow it's being missed that these are really fast race cars right i i think it's interesting that they you know they clearly have a strategy because he was kind of um hinting towards it whether you know obviously they're kind of looking at this the speed record or maybe a potential you know lap record at a place like nurburgring or something like that to really show the potential of the car even though that isn't necessarily going to be their race product. Um, it is kind of an interesting strategy to always go back and say, you know, hey, look at what these things really can do. Um, maybe we don't race it in that trim, but um, but they're you know this is something they're capable of. I think. Um, yeah. 
um, yeah, I mean that's that's that definitely to me it make it 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 makes me think because I had been hard on F you know Formula E in the past of like you got to make the cars faster for us to really care right or you got to they need a lap mm-hmm. faster right but then we also know and myself included I'll admittedly in the, out of the same mouth I will say but if you just make the cars super fast you end up with Formula One right yeah um, but man how how do we get people to care so he's kind of saying like well. We're going to show you how fast they are, but that doesn't mean we're going to race them that way. We still want to have good racing, which, by the way, their racing is very good. And it's when you talk about the Peloton style and the battery, the regeneration, you know, conservation of the battery and stuff, like that is tactical racing that us drivers want. I mean, we, you know, look at NASCAR stock car drivers, we're always asking for more tire fall off, right? And tire fall off, you know, having new tires that are really good and then old tires that are really slow, that tire fall off is basically kind of like this Peloton style conservation racing that Formula E has, right? Where if you just fire off and lead the field, you, you know, you're going to burn up, right? In NASCAR, you burn your yep. battery up. Um, in Formula E, you burn your, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, in NASCAR, you burn your tires up. You're distracting me here with your comments. Um, did you lose me? I <laughs> know uh, you're you're back. You're back. We're good. In NASCAR, you burn your tires up. In Formula E, you burn your battery up. So, um, so I'm glad that they you know don't want to lose that that racing excitement. And I'm also glad that they're you know kind of showcasing the capabilities of the cars because I wasn't aware of those capabilities. But people talk all the time about how electric cars are so incredibly powerful and have great acceleration. Um, so it's cool that he's sitting here saying, mm. yeah, we're going to show that to you. I thought that was fascinating. I think the uh, couple things that stuck out to me. One, the uh, fan base. 200 million is what they believe. They also said that 60% are current motorsport fan, but but more shocking to me was 40% being new to motorsports in terms of fans, right? And one of the reasonings behind that, and I thought this yep. was really fascinating, which – you know they have to balance something that no other racing series is really truly balancing. Although or Formula One tries to say like, yeah, we're sustainable, we're gonna be all this sort of stuff. It's like, come on, you're doing this solely because of outwardly pressure. Whereas this was designed to promote sustainability. So I thought what was really fascinating was when he was talking about, you know, not only the idea of like the cars being efficient, and that's why noise is inefficient, and so maybe it's not even in their best interest, right? And that you really look at the cars as being this most efficient way to go fast that they are within the restrictions of the racing. But then the second part was the way they designed the events. I thought that was fascinating. I was like, wait a second. I didn't really think about it that way in terms of, I remember when they first came out with the street circuits, it was obviously being in downtown cities was important. People, there was no parking. I remember I went to the one in Brooklyn, uh, Red Hook, and that was interesting and you couldn't park and you had to Uber there. But, you know, when you talked about permanent circuits and was like, yeah, well, they need to have some sort of infrastructure to get people there that's not just cars. I was like, wow, that's a really fascinating thing. So um, I don't know. It's, it's a it's, – that was really interesting. He did offer us to drive a full mini car, it sounded like. I mean, I the way I took it, Landon. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. I know they do those test runs a little bit at tracks. They let you, you come and drive them wherever. I think Connor Daly got to do it one time. So uh, I'd like to sign up for that. That would be wonderful. And then we did discover, more importantly, although he – he may have shit on you entirely as a driver and, uh, and, uh, and myself and all of us is, is getting a chance to go race in Pulley. Um, he did mention there's a 12th team open. So 
I mean, we we now have a, we now have our our guiding light. We will we we need to put things together, rally a crew, American crew, American OEMs, <laughs> and go tackle Formula E as a team. I like that. Yep, yep. Well, I you know, I uh, I thought his answer to my question was a really good answer. It showed a great support for his drivers and his series and his teams and the <laughs> the sanctity of them. And and really, if anything, it showed you maybe where his his hope is for his teams that, you know, um, that they are real competitive race teams um, at their core who hire yep. the best drivers. So I, I, I appreciate that answer that he gave. Um, I will say I've never met a race team that didn't take your call if you had sponsorship. Um, so <laughs> I almost met that as a challenge if he was saying, um, you know, you still got to be qualified to, to drive in Formula E. I'm sure that... He's he's right, but I would uh, I would love to have the sponsorship and make that call and at least see how far that got me. Um, so we'll have to maybe update uh, <laughs> update the rest of the world on that as it goes. But he is right about the world class caliber of those drivers, and that would be a huge yes. discipline change for myself going from a you know a, a stock car oval track um, specialist, you could say. Uh, with with limited road course racing experience to you know this entirely new sort of style of racing with this style of car um, on street courses against drivers who you know have pretty much by and large have been on a path towards this style of racing anyways because you know majority of them have had some career path you know in in formula one or towards formula one or something like that so but um, but real quick i actually challenge accepted i I think yeah, well, I, I love that, and I, I love the challenge. We, we also have never met a race team that wouldn't take a call when you had some money, so I don't know about that one. But I, I have heard that yeah. you have, and as I said before, you have a, at least a large amount of those drivers are hired drivers that are paid uh, very handsomely yeah. to be in Formula E. And I, but the thing that's interesting to me and what, where you feel like you'd be changing disciplines so massively, from what I can tell, it actually, I think, is – almost more difficult for some of the open wheel drivers to go that this route because when i look at how they drive those cars and where they they talk about maximizing momentum and roll speed and that sort of stuff and they're on a tire that doesn't have a lot of mechanical grip well wait a second to me and you know and also you're having to lift and coast and sort of you know do, long braking zones. zones well i was like wait a second yeah i was like wait wait, wait. that's stock car racing so <laughs> you yeah. might actually yeah, be no absolutely more yeah, more set up for this than you than you believe, um, and then then we see from the outside because we think of it as this open wheel formula car, but I really don't think it is. This is a car that far more closely right, aligns with a traditional car. stock car uh, in terms of the driving style that's needed. From what I can tell, I could be completely wrong, but from what I can see from the right. outside, I do believe that to be the case. So I got a chance. All right, we're gonna find sponsorship. Yeah, chance. We got to find some sponsorship, and I want to go Formula E racing. Let's do it. I, that or I mean, we just buy a team. I think we just we we've been given the opening. So you got Andretti, who's already there, right? And that's where Jeff was visiting Andretti when he was talking to us. They're trying to get into Formula One. Yep, seems to be a very contentious thing, right? Now they've had this similar situation for me with, with an opening for a team, but they don't want to just let anyone in, right? Well, see, as we as the world is distracted by all these teams trying to go to Formula One, we swoop in and go to Formula E. I think it's <laughs> I think it's a like a you know, foolproof strategy in a lot of ways. 
We need well, we need a manufacturer to back us. And I also, you know, he he left a little nugget there too on potential manufacturer backing or big sponsorship backing that could enter mm. that series. And the value prop is, you know, um, some kind of energy generation company or you know obviously you have mahindra uh in the sport um you know so a a a manufacturer like them um that wants to develop this type of technology but in a in the form of a race car i think it's possible i think it's possible the wheels are turning the money lap we're going full e-racing one of these days may not be next year may not be the year (laughs) after but it it will it will happen in the future um i mean that man I'm glad we did this little debrief because I just think there were so many cool things to that. It's cool to see also an executive in motorsports so open and willing to chat about this stuff, which has not always been the case. And I think that's been changing over the last couple of years. But, you know, especially a, a challenger series like this going up against some of the bigger ones. Um, and I don't want to say yeah. the competitors because he actually he talks about that. He, he actually had a great point, which is something we've talked about a lot, which is all, you know, motorsports being more popular, whether it's Formula One or NASCAR helps all of them because it's just you get people liking cars going in circles, uh, then you're going to find you want yeah. varieties of it. So um, I think that's positive. But, yeah, overall it was super cool. I'm glad, we, I'm glad we had him on. I look forward to having him. Maybe he can be like our Formula E correspondent. Actually, we have the CEO at every race. <laughs> yeah, nothing like having a correspondent as the CEO of the, of the series. So we'll have to we'll Love check it. in with him uh, maybe again when their season gets started. Yeah, we'll probably hopefully go over there. I, I see it starts in January, so uh, we got to look at the NASCAR schedule. But hey, Mexico starts the first one, thirteenth of January. Could do that. So maybe we'll see him there. There we go. Wait, perfect. All right. Uh, that was a cool special edition of the Money Lap podcast. We're going to do this more often, but we'll be back regularly scheduled programming unless we have another guest to show up uh, next week. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice, and be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.